When I fall, I got parachutes. 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 What you gonna say? What you gonna do? What you gonna gonna Is what they say true? And all these questions, I make sure I am still on top. And all these questions, I make sure this train is hard to stop. No matter what I say or do, no matter the song or two, it's me you cannot drop. I'm in a parachute up in the sky. I- I'm in a parachute. I'm soaring down. Parachute. I'm soaring down. When I fall, I got parachute. Politicize every song I sing. Tell you about a reality. You're living in a virtual reality. You're sucking on the tit that feeds you lies. Getting screwed by a system of ties to our demise. We are blamed. Why blame us? That's insane. All we know is pain. Control us for 300 years. Saw epitome appears in a machine that broke us. Made us get out of focus. Preacher told us, stop that hocus pocus. Look what we had. Our culture was just a fad. What they didn't still do is sad. It makes me mad. Why be racist? It's made us faceless. Made us into your slaves. Land slaves for your wage. In this first world country, you're the entire Repeat and recycle. Put more money in guns. We make war to be free. We make war to be free. Are we really? Giving him a all. Giving him a all. Good morning. Welcome to Wake the F Up on 101.5 UMFM. We air on Thursdays, 11 to 11.30. My name is Christina, and I use pronouns she, her. And my name is Karen. I use the pronouns he, him. UMFM 101.5 broadcasts at 1200 watts from the University of Manitoba, located on Treaty 1 territory, the original lands of Anishinaabe, Nihiawak, Ojikri, Dakota, and Dene peoples, and on the homeland of the Métis Nation. Thanks, Kara. So, an interesting topic that has been making appearances in my life lately has been alienation. All sorts of different types of alienation. So Marx first described, he was the first one to describe alienation. And I believe the main ones that he speaks of are between the worker and the employee and between the employee and the product. And this is something that's actually been coming up in my psychology class, interestingly, because we talk about the psychological effects of that. Right. Because before the Industrial Revolution, before we had these big factories where People are divvied up into different stations where they're only working on a small fraction of whatever final product down the assembly line is going to be made. Mm -hmm. Before that, people would kind of make their own products and sell their own handmade products. And then when the industrial, industrial revolution came around, then all of a sudden they could make more product for much cheaper, much faster. And then people would buy it because rather than waiting, you know, four months for a more expensive thing, they could just pump out all this stuff. So a big result of that that we've been talking about in my psychology class is that we're no longer, now bear bear with me for this one, we're no longer reinforced by the feeling of creating a product. Like there's a sense of satisfaction you get when you create something, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. When you sit down, create a painting, a product, whatever it is, you are naturally reinforced for the process of creating it. And then you're reinforced when you are completed and then Mm -hmm, when mm -hmm. you sell it, when somebody appreciates it, all of that stuff. That's like a like a naturally reinforcing process. So 
this alienation that has occurred in this, it also occurs between the worker and the employee. So the worker and the employee, larger gap was also created with the Industrial Revolution because now there's the owner of the means of production, the owner of the factory, mm-hmm. and the worker. Right. And initially, this was presented as this mutually beneficial kind of relationship because, you know, they... <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I beca- just had to scoff on that one because oh, mutually benefit- yeah. beneficial. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Let's call it that. Exactly. Yeah. No, thank you. Where they would let them work in this factory and then mm-hmm. they would get, quote unquote, their fair share of... Uh, of the profit. Mm-hmm, yeah, the the <laughs> benefits. Said benefits, right, right. Yes, yeah. So So, you know how I feel about Karl Marx, obviously. Love him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but how does that alienation play into like your life? Cuz you mentioned that it was something that has been coming up in your life. And thanks for explaining like what it means because I am not fully aware of this concept, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, more so because like in intersectional feminism and all of these like progressive ideologies, it's not something that always comes up. Right. And I think it's very interesting that you mentioned that it was in your psychology class because yeah, it's not something that I would have thought of as to a be factor. In a psychology yeah, class, right? as a factor that affects people in that way, even though it's it's a reality that's like glaring us in the face that mm-hmm. all these things matter. But it's not something that I would have thought of to be talked in a psychology class. But apart from that, how has it been? I guess coming up in your life. Yeah. Um. So it definitely, I think, it affects everyone in a lot of ways. So basically, the way that our lives are set up right now we are constantly moving to different geographical areas right like our lives are very compartmentalized Mm -hmm. you know how many different places do you drive to or walk to in a day you're entering different rooms different buildings different areas of the city Mm -hmm. so every time you're entering a different space there's a different context there's different people and you're having to present yourself in a certain way and Mm -hmm. now we've and this isn't you know i'm i'm speaking now like this is not this is not what it was like when humans were you know the majority of human existence when we lived in you know smaller uh, groups and whatever in in forests and what have you <laughs> like right right you, know, you you catch my drift yeah um, i do yeah so essentially uh you would generally be within the same area for most of the time mm-hmm. you generally be surrounded by the same social context most of the time mm-hmm. and a huge result of this compartmentalization that has been so normalized for us in our lives is that we have to worry about impression management okay so much constantly and this relates to i see uh, i see how you're like how in the world does this relate yeah to um, yeah yeah folks i'm kind of <laughs> confuzzled here but i'm sure christina's gonna do a great job of explaining that okay. um so this definitely relates to intersectional feminism mm. because with intersectional feminism it has accurately described how society sees us essentially in terms of race, class, sexuality, ability, right. et cetera. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole, the whole works. The whole shebang. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so this is another example of alienation, I would say, because these intersectionalities that we're defined by are not necessarily, and usually not, especially for marginalized people, I guess I would say, how we want to define ourselves. Mm -hmm. 
So there's an alienation between how society is perceiving us versus how we see ourselves. Right. Okay. Yeah, I see. Yeah. So somebody might see themselves. Oh, I'm a funny, outgoing hardworking person right, right, and then right. you know whatever person on the street is going to be like that's a black trans person right and that's the definition that they're getting right huh that is very interesting because i've never really thought about the concept of intersectional feminism in terms of another viewer i guess mm-hmm. of that intersectional feminism because i would hold myself to be a person defined by my characteristics and that's my intersectional feminism for me absolutely but of course and like we we always talk about how people are disrespectful and like these hateful ideologies and all of that like we talk about that on the show all the time Mm -hmm. but i have never actually ever thought about the concept of that relation as to why there is that hatefulness Mm -hmm. so do you think that that alienation is related to a process of creating that hatefulness when you see someone so you mentioned in this example a black trans person Mm -hmm. who has an entire identity and they don't see themselves as simply black and trans yeah and they can see themselves in that way right right yeah and that can and define in that way of course yeah yeah totally but in this example they don't Mm -hmm. and someone can either be hateful or be accepting of them Mm -hmm. but still have them alienated as a black trans person yeah. Am I getting that right? I would say so. Okay. Yeah. So that that's something that I've never thought of because I, I think it's super interesting that you bring that up because it's not like the whole process of viewing someone and accepting them, especially in like times where everything is changing. Mm-hmm. We are like completely breaking down the notion of gender mm-hmm. and sex and sexuality. Yeah. And, like we are getting to a society where people are wanting to be more progressive. Yeah. But how do you go about not ignoring this concept of alienation? Because honestly, the more I try to wrap my head around it, it seems to me that it doesn't matter if you're hateful toward, in this example, a black trans person or are accepting of them. But in some fashion, you are still viewing them. Reducing them to that label. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think there's any right answer for how a person is going (laughs) to overcome this mentality. Like it's it's a process. It's It's a negotiation. And honestly, in the context of our culture, I don't think it can ever fully leave us. Mm-hmm. It's the thing that we're constantly grappling with for our entire lives. So I, I wouldn't say the goal is to entirely remove yourself from these labels mm-hmm. because that's just the fact of the matter. That's how we're going to describe ourselves in this world. That's what we right, are. Right. Um, it's, it's just a way of describing your own individual journey. So this is an important thing that I learned about in, in terms of intersectional feminism when I learned about it in my class and all that, that a big thing that you have to consider And we tend to forget about it because in this society, it's very much encouraged to not worry about what people think of you. Mm -hmm. That's a huge thing, right? Right. The second you're like, oh, you know, you somebody you care what people think. Oh, well, don't care what they think. But that's the fact is we we have we are thinking about it. Yeah. And like interactions with other people matter. And like absolutely at the end of the day, it does matter what someone thinks of you because this is going to affect how you present yourself in the world this is going to affect how the world perceives you that's right and i think that saying that also comes from a like a huge position of privilege to say that oh you shouldn't think about what others think about you you're so right yes because you could totally be like a rich white dude and then have tons of money Mm -hmm. and not 
care about that at all because of course it doesn't matter what people think of you yeah because how is it going to affect you exactly i'm mm. so glad that you brought that up yeah whenever you see like you can see the differences in the kinds of advice that people give to each other based on if they're privileged or marginalized you know if you're privileged you might some good advice that they might give each other might be like oh well you know you had a bad day just have a positive outlook right like just have you a have a million dollars just buy that boat you were looking at <laughs> you don't need to think about what Shanda over there thinks of you. Exactly. She has a smaller house than you do anyway. Like, yeah, but that's, <laughs> that's the reality of marginalized people. You have to think about what people think of you. You know, like black parents have to tell their children why they have to act a certain way in order to not be targeted by the police. And that's, and that's so messed up. That's the reality. Yeah. So when I see advice given by somebody who's marginalized, it's a lot more to do with self-care and... Mm -hmm remembering mm -hmm. who you are mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because the world has this very alienated idea of who you are and your own self-identity should ideally exist in spite of that so i think that's the goal is being able to come up with some kind of working definition of yourself right and that's incredibly huh. difficult to do mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because we're constantly being just oversimplified right yeah I guess what I'm also like interested in, we explored this concept of alienation and all of that. And I think that stems majorly from the fact that we live in such a punitive and imperfect society, mm -hmm. as you talked about uh, your psychology class. Yeah. So what would it look like to not have these measures in place, mm -hmm. which kind of creates all of these inequalities in the first place? Like what would... I guess to simplify it, what would an ideal society look like then? Yeah. So in this psychology class of mine, it's it's Skinner's writings. So we read all about B.F. Skinner's stuff. So he's a big behaviorist. Mm -hmm. And he actually wrote an entire novel as well as a whole bunch of other stuff on what an ideal society would look like. Like mm. his work called Walden 2, it's literally a story about somebody in this ideal society. Ideal in terms of the fact that it works with human psychology so right now our society is very punitive our government is very punitive <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. we have a yeah like you said we have a punitive justice system rather than right. a restorative justice system we're very much controlled by punishment mm -hmm. when we're given traffic tickets we're supposed to operate on the threat of receiving a ticket for improper control right rather than totally. being rewarded for good driving mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. now ideally and if you read about this the ideal thing would just be to reward people for good behavior. And actually, this is a supported and researched idea that you should be able to control a person by just using the rewards. Right. Like when you think about how you train your animals, well, you give them treats for doing the right thing. Right. <laughs> this, and uh, this sounds terrible. I'm like comparing humans. To well, well not really. <laughs> what I wanted to say was MPI, if you're listening, take notes. Because like... <laughs> If, yes. I, if I drive in the winter and I hit a pole or something because yeah. of ice, I get five demerits and that's so friggin' expensive. Yeah. Oh, don't even get me started. And <laughs> one year of good driving brings me about a $10 discount on my license. Wow. Great. Awesome. Thanks, MPI. Please take notes. <laughs> like, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, exactly. So we're absolutely controlled by punishment. So in terms of what an ideal world would look like, it would look like us being rewarded for good behavior and 
A big aspect of what this would look like, Skinner describes, is that, of course, there would be less alienation between Mm -hmm. worker and employee, between employee and product, between people and people. He says this ideal world would rely a lot more on the natural social contingencies that are created in everyday social interaction. And I thought about, like, here's an example. So this is one example of how I conceptualized it. I'm like, people have a... Road rage is a problem, yeah? Oh, big time. <laughs> big time, big time. And I, and thinking about these concepts that I learned in my class, I'm like, how could we solve road rage? And this is not... A, I'm not suggesting this. This is not a feasible solution, but this is this is wh- what it would look like. So remove the the enclosed space of the car. And if all cars were convertibles and we could all hear each other and had no music, then... It would just be like walking down a hallway, right? You know, we're less yeah. we're less like jerkish to people in the hallway because we have to keep that crap to ourselves. Mm-hmm. We have to keep our like really socially negative thoughts to ourselves mm-hmm. in order to be like right. a positive member of society. <laughs> yeah. So Yeah. I mean someone could totally shoulder check me and I it's can't not even great. I can't even yell or anything like that. Exactly. Because they can hear me. Yeah. And so can all the twenty other people in the hallway. Yeah, exactly. So huh. that's so it, that's because there's more natural social reinforcement in that situation. Right. Walking through a hallway, you can all see each other, hear each mm-hmm, other, mm-hmm. May, maybe recognize a face or two. Right. But in cars, you don't have that. It's mm-hmm. just compartmentalized. Mm-hmm. Now, with an ideal system, another example of how that would look. So right now, if we have noisy neighbors and we want to tell them to shut up at three in the morning, what do a lot of people do? Call the cops? Yeah. Now, the cops, they come in with, you know, whatever pieces of information they can gather about the situation. And they go in and they're dealing with people that they don't know, probably will never see again. Mm-hmm. And dealing with it in this very piecemeal kind of way. Like, it's just you, you know, go from house to house. You don't know anyone there. Right. Whereas, ideally, you would live in a small enough community where, well, first of all, there would be more control against being so inconsiderate of your neighbors. Because if you know all of your neighbors, you're more likely to be conscientious of the fact that... There's people around you trying to sleep. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Because mm-hmm. right yeah. now, I don't know any of my neighbors. Right. I have no idea how they're going to react. I have no mental concept of how they might feel if I start screaming at three in the morning. Mm-hmm. Probably mm-hmm. not happy. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I can, you know, get that much from it. But so first of all, you would be less likely to be a crappy person. If right. You're, you know, if you have a social relationship with the people living near you. Mm-hmm. And also, if they were being noisy at three in the morning and calling the police wasn't an option what would you do? You would go over the, to them yourself. Mm-hmm. And you, because you know them, are more likely to be like, hey, you know, I've got a kid here. I'm trying to sleep. <laughs> um, can you keep it down, please? Right. And that's much more like congruent with the way that humans function rather than, you know, stranger in a big suit come knocking on my door. Hey, you better keep it down. Great impression, by the way. Thank you. As <laughs> I know. I really should be a... <laughs> you should be I should do impressions. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I totally get your point. So in this case, it would be easier just because you know the person to talk to them and tell them why they are bothering you. Yeah. So that was like a very kind of a simple example, right? Yes. In terms of what an ideal society would look like. Mm -hmm. And where there isn't any alienation. Mm -hmm. And like that was very idealistic, right? Oh, absolutely. And what my understanding is lacking at this point is 
how that would mirror into today's politics. So we talk about alienation. We talk about mm-hmm. how in an ideal society there wouldn't be no alienation. But how does it affect today's politics? And yeah. especially in terms of feminists and the right wing and the left wing and all of that. Like how, how, yeah. do, how do we go about navigating that? Yeah. So in general, and this is my understanding of it, I'm not a political studies person. But in general, what I've learned in my psychology classes is that people who have more conservative views tend to value stuff like tradition more. Obviously, yes. And then people on the left tend to value uh, being adaptive, progressive, Mm -hmm. uh, fixing problems where they come up rather than just holding on real tight to tradition and just not letting that crap go. So Mm -hmm. this is a very tricky situation because... It is much more congruent with our human psychology to want to stick to tradition. People don't like change. Change is really uncomfortable. Hmm. So this results in a lot of, well, well, straight up, I think it results in a lot of stress and just feeling a, a, a lost sense of personhood with people who are interested in issues on the left, with people who are willing to face the issues in <laughs> the complete lack of human rights in all the areas that we're aware of. So with people on the left who are more concerned with social justice, who are more willing to embrace the reality of human rights or the lack thereof in the world, more willing to accept change, we do tend to face more difficulty in the ability to basically uphold a community. And a community is another of these things that uh, was kind of described as necessary for upholding these natural social contingencies. A characteristic of a really healthy community mm-hmm. would involve a lot of social interaction. Right. A lot of... Validation, basically. A lot of validation, yeah. Right. So, and a lot of seeing the same faces, people mm-hmm. who've known you for years, for your mm-hmm. whole life. Like longevity with these places and these people, it creates a sense of personal stability. Mm-hmm. So because people on the left are actually much less likely to have this sense of stability because we're so committed to change. Something that's really important and a really valuable and useful tool is creating deliberate communities. Right. So basically something that we, the two of us, do on campus daily. Absolutely. Right, right. Because if, you know, if you're constantly, you know, it's just you against the world and you're constantly subjected to people who are shutting you down, shutting down all of your ideas. You know, we've talked about it before, how talking about social justice in Mm -hmm. most contexts, you feel like you're in the matrix because everyone is against you. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, they're always going to call you out for, oh, blah, blah, blah. You just don't want to hear the opposing side. And it's like, listen. (laughs) I have heard your side 5,000 billion times. I've lived your side. We are living your side. Exactly. But okay, go off. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So there's a huge benefit, I think, to creating deliberate communities. And this is something that, yeah, so it's been relevant in our lives. (laughs) Right. Because you always talk about your favorite quote from Audre Audre Lorde. That without community, there is no liberation. It could not be more true. And I, I, I now see why you chose to talk about this convoluted topic because it I did know, come back full circle. A lot of this felt like a stretch, didn't it? But I, I, I promise you this had a direction. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had no 
idea where we were going today, you guys. I'm not going to lie, but <laughs> yeah, we Yeah, Karen's been it. looking at me with like a really confused look on his face for a lot of those. Yeah, I'm not that intellectually stimulating of a person. Okay, so well, that's that can, that's debatable. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I now see what you mean by that because it is something that we do to avoid this alienation all the time. Yeah. And I guess it kind of comes naturally. And you said that we, as like marginalized people notice this more often it's not something that i have noticed but i guess subconsciously i have because obviously i've went out of my way to look for this quote-unquote deliberate community that you said yeah to get that validation yeah and that's that's not a bad thing and you know of course the people who disagree with us are gonna you know they're gonna use whatever argument in the book to accuse us of being weak of not wanting to face you know, the every side of the argument, you know, everything <laughs> right, that they're going right. to say. But it's a very normal human thing to want to seek to be surrounded by people who agree with us. Wow. It's not sheltering. It's not a bad thing because we're always going to hear their side of the story. Let's be right. real here. We're never going to escape it. We hear it all the time. Oh, my God. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. they think we're trying to hide for it. <laughs> Honey, I wish I could. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, right. I can't and I will never be able to. That's yeah. just not the society we live in. So it's an incredibly useful thing to be surrounded by people who do agree with you, mm-hmm. which has definitely occurred on this campus. Yeah, this didn't. I, I did not have this in high school. So on this campus, you oh know, my God, yeah, totally. you've got people with you've got groups of pretty much every political stance I can think of. Mm-hmm. You, like, yeah, you're right, and you're right, and it's not something that I ever thought of. And like the more I think about it. The from the beginning of the episode to the end, it just feels like sort of a self analysis, <laughs> which is one of the things that I hate the most. <laughs> People analyzing me. <laughs> so, I guess Plot I'm just twist. this has all been a psychological <laughs> intervention for Karan. No right. <laughs> I know right. Like, wow, it, it's so interesting because it's something that I totally do. We yeah. all do it. And, like, think of how it's benefited in your life to be surrounded by people who agree with you on basic human rights. Totally, yeah. I Wow, I don't even want to talk about this anymore because <laughs> this has just become about my life now. <laughs> I'm just kidding, <laughs> but I'm mind blown. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, well, that was uh, very intellectually heavy, even for me. Um, but I guess I shouldn't have said that because I'm not that smart, really. Uh Enough uh, with the self-deprecation. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, really all for this week. Yeah. Check out our Instagram if you haven't yet. If you ever want to interact with us, we'd love to hear your thoughts, your suggestions for future shows. It's wake the F up, UMFM, all lowercase. Yeah. And hopefully this episode did not deter you from listening further. <laughs> no joke. <laughs> Thank all you right. so much, Christina. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Karen. On. I will stay strong and hold on It won't be too long till the storm passes Then the rain dries Just like the tears in your eyes Life can give you a surprise Bad and good and in the hood The pressure is high I understand the pressure you had Man, you was our dad Lost a child, I can't imagine Left a wife, bills were racking Four daughters, a mother and a brother We still love you and still get blue But I know how you would want us It's hard, it still haunts us I stay strong not cause of me I stay strong for those who love me 
I'll never commit suicide, even if I wanna die. Till I'm old in the land of ice and snow, I know where I will go. I will thrive, I will strive. Most importantly, I will survive.